Hello and welcome to Off the Record. Uh, it is we are taping this on what's today, Jesse? Monday on Monday the fifteenth. You'll hear this on Wednesday. It will be our last freshly recorded episode of two thousand and fourteen. Uh, I think we will end up with around thirty five episodes this year, which is a lot. Um, I've never done yeah, something so started, consistent. We started, we started what in April? April, I think it was right around my right around my coming of age birthday. I believe you were right, and uh, but we will be airing an episode next week. But it was one we taped during CMJ. Yeah, it was when I had Ebola. So Jesse, I picked up, I picked up my uh, my new in ears, not my in whatever they're called. They're my new molded ear thingies. Mm-hmm. So on it's it's Monday today. On Friday, the nice ear doctor receptionist called me and said, "Can we push your appointment back thirty minutes?" I'm like, "Sure, I don't care. I just have a podcaster tape on Monday." I go, I go. I'm there. It's twelve thirty. They, uh, the doctor's not there, and then I'm waiting there for thirty minutes, and they cancel my ear doctor appointment. Wow, I'm that's like, very not pro. Not pro. She's just not even there. And I'm like, well, can I have my molded eardrums that you're charging me several hundred dollars for? And the receptionist is like, you should really have these fit. Make sure they're fitted properly. I'm like, no, I'm not coming back. You're like, yo, I gotta defend tonight. Oh, yeah, I do. Well, actually, for all the listeners, for all of you, I just want you all to know that Jesse came out of retirement this weekend. <laughs> not only did he go to one defend pop punk show he went to two and he's probably going to a third tonight i don't know if i'm gonna be able to defend all night like i might not make it through to modern baseball that was a lot of bands last though on friday night on on th- or th- oh yes on friday night jesse came to a modern baseball knuckle puck show where um there were where he was not the oldest person yet he was in the oh upper, the he was in, by, there's like 20 people older than me because but i was definitely the he was in the upper tier of old i was in the upper tier of old sure and then uh there was music biz professionals who were far older than me there hashtag suits mm-hmm. and then last night uh jesse accompanied me to the glamour hill the glamour hills the glamour kills holiday that's fest. A, that's a, that that is one fuck of like a uh, dawson's creek like felicity one tree hill yeah like, like a, emo tribute a scene band. yeah a scene emo band tribute halloween band to the oc glamour hills yep and then last night we went to the glamour kills holiday fest presented by property of zach mm. how about my how about my logo placement oh yeah it was lovely yeah, so, and and there we watched all the bands, all the Defend Pop Punk bands. There were 2,000 people in a room that held 1,400 people. Jesse, can you do some real-time follow-up on the cap size of the main room of Webster Hall? Ooh, I learned. I was not wrong. 2,250. I was thought it was 2,300, but that's for the whole place. I was just... So you're saying you, so you're saying you were wrong, but... You're actually saying you're not wrong. I wasn't wrong. I, it was con- confirmed by a professional booking agent that I was somewhat right. Okay, okay. Professional booking agent. Yes. Versus the um, TBA tour booking agent. Mm-hmm. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was a callback. I, I, I'm shocked, though, that you didn't out me for the bad thing I did on Friday. Friday. You mean the... <laughs> there are parents get, listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You, maybe, maybe we don't need to do that. You know, I sold some merch on Friday. Did you? you were you a merch girl on Friday? I, I, I do call you a girl. I love, I great. love being a merch guy or girl. Oh, I don't like that. That was something I never. Really Are enjoyed. you kidding me? You don't like when that money comes into your hand? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very punk rock. I'm, I'm not, I don't get off on the money. 
I got you're, tipped three dollars. You're much more of a capitalist pig than me. I got tipped three dollars. Oh my god! Wow. And then I gave it to the normal merch guy. Like what? What am I like? I felt bad taking it, but then I was like, I feel like I deserve this three dollars. It's unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. We're, we're, we defended hard, and we're going to defend hard again tonight. What's the? What's our first? I think our first order of business is that we have a listener question. Oh yeah. So, so Jesse, the, the listener question is: Hey guys. I've taken advantage of the email list for a while, but I was curious what mail service you use for sending out to your list. I've long used MailChimp, a.k.a. MailKimp, if you listen to the Serial podcast. However, Gmail's newest layout doesn't allow a mail list emails to be placed in the primary mail box in Gmail, rather the promotions inbox, which isn't viewed on default when logging into Gmail. Given that Gmail is one of the more widely used clients, I was wondering if you knew of a service that was able to work around this. I think this only workaround for this is that you have to tell people to say that you don't, they don't want you in the promotions. I think this is uh, a systematic thing that it doesn't matter what service you're using, but they want to know what uh, mail services we use. And uh, I personally... If you're under 2,000 people, Reverb Nation is the cheapest, but Topspin is about the same price, so I use Topspin because I like their facility better. But I think MailChimp becomes the best service to use once you're uh, anywhere, for, for also for cost-effective reasons, once you're above 10,000 people in a mailing list. For sure, MailChimp's definitely the best. Beyond that, I will just say that um, regarding the Gmail fear, like, I I think a lot of people, a majority of people ha- are just looking at their email on their mail app on their iPhone or Android app or Android phone rather or any other email service that doesn't categorize things like Gmail does. So if that's yeah. the case, it's not really it's kind of like a small subset of a concern. I think it's a great point. And, you know, even for me, I'm in I am not in the new Gmail layout. I use a multiple inbox label uh, layout. So. That doesn't affect me either. Yeah, and then I, I, I super recommend MailChimp. I, I was very scared of using a newsletter service for a while just because it seemed intimidating to me. I'm very bad at learning things for the first time. You 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 are one of those people like the tech people. You're like you're, you're very like you love tech, but you're so new tech averse. Like you're so scared of it. Yeah, well, I love it all. I'm like you know like Tom, Thomas is very good at it because he used to do it for paper and plastic and for when he did some press stuff. So he's just always handled it for bad time. But then with this Jade Tree, um, you know, you blew it seven inch. I, I needed to start doing newsletters. And I was like, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. And I like hit up Emily, who's our publicist for Bad Timing. And I was like, can you tell me how to do this? And she was like, no, you idiot. Just it's so simple. It couldn't be simpler. And I was like, you're lying. And it's actually really simple. And now I know how to send newsletters. And I learned in approximately 10 minutes once I actually hit enter. And it was very enjoyable even. Now I feel like I'm cool, and I can make newsletters, and I can spam all of you. Please don't unsubscribe. You sure can spam all of us. That's why I have a website. So, with that, that's listener questions. We don't have anything to follow up. Except Um, that you were wrong about, but right about a cap. Yes. So, we are going to follow up, though, on a thing that um, the writer Dave Weigel likes to call a self-audit. I think this is a really cool thing, and what he does every year is he goes through his writing his predictions, his thoughts from the year, and he goes through and figures out what he got right and what he got wrong and admits to it. And I think it really is helpful for people to, one, have the discussion of humility uh, in this, and then two, it's helpful to just 
ponder what we got right and wrong. So did did you get anything particularly right, wrong this year? Right or wrong. I've been thinking about this since you brought it up a few weeks ago. And I mean you just you're just trying to make me humble myself. Yeah. Um I think I've I think the biggest thing for me has been this eternal battle. Internal? Eternal? Internal, right? Internal, internal. battle. Yeah. Over the last few months, as we've sort of aired stuff out on the show, there's been like, I've had two things that have sort of been my, um, God, we're just going to have like an emotional last episode. Yeah, um, I mean, we're, we're, okay. we're, we're getting we're getting like real pensive with our end of the year, like, you know, some, some serious December stuff. From defense to emo. Um, my, my two biggest things this year, I think, were... You know, the first half of this year was like truly miserable for me. Just coming off of all that Property is Act stuff with Spin Media that we discussed several episodes ago. And especially coming from a year in 2013 where I felt like I was truly on top of the world. Because that involved, you know, 2013 for me like started with a Fallout Boy reunion leak. And then, or was that 2013? Yes, that's that's how that started, and it it continued through with the biggest year of the site ever, and me launching a record label, and me starting to manage bands, and you know, in particular, Knuckle Puck, and and feeling like I was truly a part of something fresh. To the first half of 2014, where while management and the label were going well, the the first like you know like child I brought into the world was was like dying, um, and it was a miserable process. So I think, and then I just. So the first thing for me this year has just been dealing with burnout. And it's not really a right or wrong. It's just something I've sort of greatly realized, which is that, and I've been talking with a few people about this over the last few weeks. I even had a conversation last night after the show uh, with a friend. And um, to me, like, I guess if we're going to consider it a self-audit category is that when you start to feel that burnout, I think you always know, but you never want to admit it, at least for a while. Um, is that something that you think that you have relation to as well? Oh, I I think actually the funny thing is, is yes, when I was younger, but now it's just like, you, the first stage is laughter, that you're like, oh, wow, I'm real burnt out. And then you look at your calendar and you go, there's no way that's stopping for a while. Too. Well, for me... We have to also remember a lot of what burns me out is my record production. I'm usually booked for, I can't just say stop. I have to wait till I get through the records. So I just have to laugh through it. Yeah, I think, God, part of it to me was, I think part of what I was so hesitant to kind of say, God, I am burned out, is that I felt uh, like I was complaining. Not, I, I think it's totally valid for anyone to be like, no, I'm burned out. I need a break. But most of those people that I hear saying that are considerably older than me. And that's not me making fun of anyone for being old at, for the for the first time ever. It's more like, how can I complain about being burned out when I'm only 21 when or even 20 at this point and I'm in school still and blah, blah, blah. And it took me a while, I think, to one, without the age thing, be, be able to say to myself, I am burned out. And then two, also say, it doesn't matter that I'm only 21 because I've been working for five years and this horrible process is taking place right now and like I, I need to make a change for myself. And that's something I started feeling in like March or April <laughs> or God, I don't know. That's actually something I started feeling in January, I think, of this year. And it wasn't until the like the la like actually the last calendar day of summer 
when I, when I was able to be like, you know what? No, everything needs to change. And so the, the biggest thing for me this year was sort of changing what I deemed to be the center of my like universe. Uh, cause everything, everything in my life used to revolve around the website. Like that was, that was the sun. And now I'm trying to not make that the the point I don't really want any any of my work jobs to be the thing everything orbits around um so I think I guess like mental health for me <laughs> has been something that I've realized is kind of important so so but don't you find you need a center so what 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 is what are you orbiting around you don't feel like you're that you're, you're orbiting around something still I get I just I think I, I think I have better pace for myself like you know the last I mean this is a good and timely example on Friday um on friday when we went to that show in new york and yesterday when we went to that show also in new york uh i didn't take my backpack to either show and that meant i didn't have my laptop i didn't think about that that you used to always have like a little bag on i always uh i would say 98 percent of the time i leave my house to go anywhere different than picking up food to come directly back to my house to my laptop or to my imac i always have my computer with me and that's because I don't know what's going to happen. And so there's this point where I needed, you know, it was it was like I was getting too close to the sun to continue digging this metaphor to the ground, where it was yeah. just like... You and Icarus, man. <laughs> it was just like I couldn't... It was not helping the site that I was so connected to it every single second anymore, you know, because I was hurting myself. I was just... The burnout was so real. So I, to answer your question, I feel like for me, I don't know, I, I think a lot of my... A lot of what's changed is that... I like doing everything more side by side versus it needs to be the site and then it needs to be management and then it needs to be label. And it's more like, no, I'm going to do everything when it makes sense for me to do it and and work through my day. But, you know, yes, on Saturday, I took like a me day in quotes and I, you know, I I woke up and I read things in the morning and I like listened through my podcast like we were talking about before the show. And that was a very nice and new feeling. And I feel like once I graduate, I want to what I want is more of a routine where I can say, yeah, I'm going to read some stuff every morning and every night. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to the office every day from nine to six or seven, which is still, which I don't know, maybe those are crazy hours, but that, that still feels right to me. Yeah. Well, you're different. You're like a, you don't have any windows. Um, though my office doesn't have any windows either really. So, um, but you know, I, I think to me, I, I, I for once don't want a true center. I want to just feel like I want to be working on what I want to be working on which has led me to want to work on everything more, but in a healthier way. And I don't really know if that makes sense, but I'm really excited about where the site is going next year. I'm really scared about it a lot, but I'm really excited. And I I wasn't excited a few months ago when it was the center. And same for the label. The label's become so much more fun in the last few months just because we're finally getting to this place. But I don't want to ruin it by saying everything needs to encompass the label all the time, that being bad timing. And so I don't know, I, I don't really think I can afford to make anything the center of my universe right now for practicality reasons, but also just kind of mental health reasons. See, I think like that's the thing is, is I need like something that's ruling my life mm-hmm. that like the goal or the, yeah, I have to revolve. And sometimes it's fun. Like, you know, I definitely took like, a couple months this year and i said you know that you're gonna basically work and take record production jobs so that you can afford to eat at nice restaurants and go out and have fun and vacation and hang out i don't know i need that this is what i'm doing right now like right now what i am doing is finishing a book and 
that's that's that rules my life oh uh, yeah i don't know that's how i've always been so i, I fully understand it but i feel like and that's my how what i may revert to you know um, i guess yeah maybe this might be i think i just need a little bit of a break yeah like i i don't i don't i think i just i just need some i need a little time where it can be like it's okay to stop working actually at eight o'clock one night, like once, maybe once a week, once a month, you know? And cause I, I've never really done that for five years. So to me, it's kind of like just feeling out what feels right. And what feels like I'm doing something mischievous. <laughs> I, 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 I know what that's like. I was that bad of a workaholic. So I look forward to seeing what you become as as you uh, learn what that is. Yeah, you know, I also need like I need a chiropractor mostly. Do you? Th- I, I oh yeah, I got. I, I don't. I, I don't, don't, I don't think we need man. to make this uh, the, this podcast about uh, belief in chiropractor or not. But we're we're gonna have a conversation maybe tonight while we're defending. Okay. Well, I'll tell, well, just... tell you my thoughts on chiropractor. Okay. Well, Jesse, it is Hanukkah starts tomorrow. Oh, I, I didn't know. Hanukkah you know. will have started yesterday for those who listen on wednesday so like when it'll still be hanukkah when my parents listen to this podcast so it's like gotta get the chiropractor thing in there <laughs> man i guess i have health insurance drop drop dropping drop hints dropping hints anyway what i are, hope you have health insurance i think i do i think i have school health insurance um what is what is on your list segment so, so I, I have two different things. I have one what I learned with music and then one what I learned with life. I guess since you started with life, um, don't make a timeline. You know, there's that, uh, and, you know, as an atheist, I don't feel comfortable with uh, this metaphor all the time. But, you know, there's the saying, you know, you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Um, I had a timeline. In fact, that you know, part of the timeline was like it was kind of funny. Like you go back to the beginning of this podcast and uh, – people come up to me now they're like you said on the podcast the book would be out in september this is what happens every time <laughs> it's just like so i had like some serious wrenches thrown in my life this year and uh we're going to talk about that early next year on one of the podcasts but uh you know i think what the biggest lesson i learned is um a lot of improvisation in life is a lot better than trying to make a timeline work that you set for no arbitrary reason. And I think a lot of my life I'd go, you have to have this done by this and you can't, you have to sacrifice everything to do this. And I've learned now it's better to just improvise and be happy. So that was my big life lesson this year. I will say this, that uh, this podcast really rejuvenated my love for music a lot. I walked into this year thinking I was an introvert a lot more than an extrovert and now I feel a lot more extroverted and like I'm getting energy from talking to people from this podcast and I'm really uh excited about that it's nice to have a weekly thing once a week yeah and like there's it's that and then the feedback our audience gives us I really uh it makes me feel great I really enjoy um, that we get sent really smart articles, some dumb ones, smart emails, <laughs> smart questions, but like our audience rules. And um, I'm very appreciative of um, what we've gotten from this. And it really has challenged me to think about things. I understand my love and passion for music where I felt a little lost about that. I mean, you know, we, we make a lot of jokes uh, on this podcast about me being the old guy at a show. Some people may even, you know, think of me as immature since, you know, 
I haven't exactly settled down in uh, my old age of, you know, I mean, I have a girlfriend now, but like, you know, I'm still going out and have fun. And I just really came to the thing of that, you know, this is my passion. I really like educating and talking to people about music. And I just got way more comfortable with that place and with that being where my age is. And I don't know. I feel really, uh, I feel way better about it through this year. Um, and then to be hard on myself, what I got wrong was, is I think, I think I really overestimated, uh, how fast people change, will, would change with technology and with music. It's, it just really, it blows my mind to get into people's cars and have them not have adapters for I, iPhones still. <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, just things like that and how many people just refuse to join Spotify, RDO, or Beats, and I got that really wrong. I thought people were going to see this technology and just run for it the way they did Netflix, but I was wrong. Are you talking about Taylor Swift? I'm not talking about Taylor Swift because I do everything I can to not talk about Taylor Swift these days because we talked about her way too much. I think you're kind of talking about her. I think I'm still learning the balance, and I think I'll always be learning the balance forever, um, of like of how people react to things on the internet, which sounds... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're always going to be learning that one. I, I've said this a bunch over the past months, but it's just like, I still wish everyone could just take a breath about some stuff, and a lot of times that can include myself. A lot of times I, I think that doesn't include me, but, you know, there's just... These points, as we talked about with things like that whole razor and tie ordeal or the, or the yellow card ordeal where it's just like, it's just a tweet. <laughs> um, not every, like, not everything has to mean like, just because I don't like something doesn't mean I want it to die or get destroyed or am, am telling everyone that they should hate it. And that goes the same for everyone. Like, I think. But I, I'm still like I I don't know that I can ever learn. But I think I think I, I guess what I was wrong about was that people would start to have thinner skin, thicker. Would I? They need thicker, thicker or thinner? skin. You thicker need, skin. They need thicker skin. They would need thicker skin. And no, I think I think it's only thinner. becoming thinner. Yeah, which is really. And at some point, to me, it's like, well, what point do I take a stand and be like, hey, you guys are idiots? you need to really get over it or that I have to fall in line and then like politically correct myself for things that I don't even deem are incorrect. You, you know, it was funny and I kind of didn't want to get into this, but since you, you, you opened the can of worms is like, you know, there was that episode where somebody said, told me that I said the R word, which is retarded. And since I'm a really sensitive, far left type of guy, I was like, you know what? This is not my cross the dion. I shouldn't say that if people get offended. But then I found myself look at the dictionary definition. The dictionary definition was just not acting of an age that is appropriate to what you are. So like, I didn't feel my use of the word was wrong when it comes to that definition. And like I said, I don't want to die on this cross. I'm not going to defend my right to say retarded. I don't want to offend people. I don't want to diminish their enjoyment of this podcast because I say something that hurts people. I don't want to hurt people. But, like, then there is that thing of, like, I'm, like, when I examine this, I'm, like, man, like, I, it, it really is exhausting to have to police everything you say to make everyone happy. Like, even, like, we were, Buddy Nielsen was hosting that uh, Glimmer Kills show we were out last night, and he wanted to make a joke about the singer State Champs 
being a twink and I'm and buddy's like, Hey, I can say this. I align myself as LGBT. And I'm like, Hey, Dan Savage got in trouble for saying twink. And he's like the, the chief head of the gays. Like, you know, who's, who's more respected the gay community than Dan Savage on the left. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a, a funny thing and I would not be shocked if there's some tweet out there that's complaining that buddy said that. It's just, it's so hard to know how people are going to react to things. Yeah, and then at the same time, though, I get mad when a Fox News host says something dumb or a Republican and all that stuff, so, and I get offended when people say things all the time, especially in this time of police brutality and Eric Garner and all that stuff, I get, I get pretty mad. So, I get it too, but it's a tough navigation, and I don't think we're getting past that anytime soon. That's part of, um... It's part of the pain of us being famous, Zach. You think? So famous. I <laughs> I expected two records by my two favorite bands this year. Oh. Uh, they didn't come. <laughs> Maybe they'll come next year. Blink-182 and brand new. Um, I think I expected... I don't know. I, I think I kind of expected the emo thing to be dead by now. Oh, wow, no. I think it's just... Uh, just- Dude, come on! After that foxing set the other night, that 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 no, to me they're to me they're going way beyond. Like to me, I don't think that's going to fit at all in this emo landscape. Within mm, by the end I of the next record, you. but I, I don't agree with you. Um, I, I think that that's where it's going. Is that I, well? But I think that doesn't fit in. Like I think that then that becomes something else. Is what I mean. Oh no! Um, that that see that's my era of emo. That's right. like like I was tweeting it the other night. That's like late 90s new york emo scene yeah to, like east coast emo to me yeah. to me i sort of view 2015 as the last year of revival and then i see us digressing more into things that people that currently like all this emo music hate or say they hated of like 2003 to 2006 era emo music um because i think that's the next logical turnover which i'd be very excited for so I don't know. I mean, that's even for J Tree. Why it's like it's a very it's a large stickler for us that like we need to do a lot of great stuff next year before people potentially stop being new people potentially stop being interested because one it's twenty five years of J Tree and two it's like we don't want to miss a chance to get new people interested before they never get into it or move on to something else. Um, hmm. So. It's the something very much on my mind. I think I think that the, that that we're only just getting started, putting the um, paddles on the emo corpse and reviving that 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 corpse. I hope. I hope so. Um, cool. So is that is that all for this? Uh, yeah. For this. So, one? so you opened a can of worms last week that we decided we would get into more this week. So yeah, last week we got into this discussion about how artists rank their records. And then I had this brain blast of this confusion I have over how we look at artists like Picasso or Warhol or Van Gogh. And to us, their art is eternal. It's in the MoMA or it's in the Met or whatever other grand museum across the world. And I don't know if we know, but we're not necessarily taught that in the moment in 1818 or 1500 or, you know, in BC era that, that the art that was being created then wouldn't be eternal. I think the way we, we were kind of taught about it in school and as someone that took several art history classes was that like the art that was being uh, patroned, is that what it'd be called? The, or uh, commissioned back then was meant to like be this great, incredible thing. It was celebrated sort of as eternal art and 
that's why there were to get super like art nerdy for a second, like the Medici families commissioning people in Italy and to have this art be eternal that we now pay or pledge money to the Met to go see or something like that. And that's really awesome. I, I mean, I think that's I, we, like, even though museum, we don't really, we see libraries closing all the time. Right. But I don't feel like we necessarily see museums closing because I think there's some part of society as a whole that says art needs to be like that kind of art needs to be internal and the crux what i was getting at last week or wanted to get into this week with you jesse was that like what what makes us say that that art be eternal but then ask these artists to one rank their art like it's like it's a commodity commodity but then also to like not ever expect that art to be eternal it's kind of like i will explain what you mean by eternal like when when is the mona lisa ever not going to be the most talked about thing of art in a museum ever right like there i i think i just have this interest in this interest in how no music like i don't know is any music where really that has ever come out in the last since like nirvana i don't know i don't i don't have a stylistic marker or a timeline marker in in line or anything but like like do you think artists ever like really have the intention now or even the kind of like can their mind even be as wide to think that their art could somehow be in a museum in 30 years like it feels like the only art we're ever going to see in a museum in 30 years related to music is like is you know the Beatles or a very bad uh what was that thing in the Met about punk fashion that wasn't really about yeah. punk fashion at all um I think what some of this is is that it's so hard for music to be ubiquitous so what I mean by that is is that part of this democratization of music thing we always are discussing is that so like for this is uh, a great way of going down it when I was young, I loved Screeching Weasel. So Screeching Weasel, if you don't know, were a, like a very Ramones-influenced pop punk band. But for me to find more Screeching Weasels took so much effort because what I would have to do is go to a record store, buy five different seven inches from five bands I've heard sound like Screeching Weasel, and usually two out of those five didn't sound anything like it and the person who wrote the recommended if you like was an idiot or they were just terrible imitations of it that you would never want to listen to a second time but now it's so easy to indulge your micro interest so i think what we're seeing is that you know because of that long tail as it's called like we're like everybody's able to indulge their micro interests like you know if you like the lumineers let's say you can find 10 bands that sound like that so easily that everybody's not pushed into the big bands aren't pushed up to being so humongous anymore and there's all these people who are you know just the funny there's a really funny thing that i always think uh great about like my punk friends is that perfect examples i could be like when i managed man overboards um i could have all people who identify as punks their favorite type of music i could say i manage a really big punk band called man overboard you know, they're big enough to play in front of 2,300 people last night. And the funny thing is, is you could identify as punk and have no clue who they are. Because punk is that vast. But when I was younger, that would never happen. Is punk wasn't so micro. And now it's to the point that, like, it's even like, you can be into Man Overboard and I say the band Pup. And it's like, who, what? Like, there's so many little micro genres of this stuff that it's all spread so thin 
that, yeah, it's hard to say who's going to go down as being this huge art thing. But then you do have something like, you know, I argue it all the time. We, we It was a big thing on this podcast that I argue that Skrillex was a Nirvana moment. And I think there will be, like, tons and tons of culture that was influenced by that moment. So, yeah, I think you could still have art that's eternal. And I think we're going to see for years to come, like, what Skrillex brought to videos and things like that. But then there's also people like you, like we often joke about how culturally ignorant you are. And on the last episode, you know, we had some good laughs about that. But like, I do think that there's moments, but I do think those moments are in music are getting fewer and farther between because it's, and I think it's also the same with movies is like, it's become so easy to indulge whatever you want to indulge in movies too, because of Netflix and all these things like, you know, when you're into a certain genre, you could just go down that tab on Netflix forever. Yeah, I, I, I don't really think it's an answerable thing. I just, I get, I mean, I guess, but um, I, I think there's always talk of like, well, what, like, you know, people aren't collecting or children aren't collecting CDs or records anymore. So what are they going to show their kids? Right. Or like that to me, that's almost less of it and more of just like, yeah. What like where is it to show? Like where where is any of this to show? Um, uh, yeah. I'm, also, I'm not gonna show. Uh, I'm not gonna calculate money with an abacus either. Yeah, but is an abacus like art? Like, <laughs> well, I think an abacus was an interesting thing because it used to be a decorative thing in your house, just as a globe was. Okay. Who needs a, who needs a globe? But then, are you saying like who needs to remember music? Well, here's a great example. I have analog books on my shelf in my apartment. And it's a funny thing of I often think about, like, for example, I listen to or e-read most of the books now. But, like, man, like, my love for some of these books, it's almost like, yeah, I do want to display that. Like, that, you know, how much I love it. And you know what's actually, like, a really funny thing I've been having is, man, I love cereal so much. Like, I'm kind of like... I want to, like, display of that affection in some way of, like, you know, can I get a coffee mug or what cereal? Come on. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, you want some way of owning a part of that and, like, saying, yes, this is a part of my personality, the people who come into your home. And, but, yeah, I'm not going to buy a book that I already have, but why do I buy a piece of vinyl I have? Because I want to explore that. It's a different way to explore because it has a, so a different sonic element. I think that's the thing is when we start comparing these different mediums, we forget things. Like, it's just like that library museum comparison is such a weird one because there is a fully different thing of looking at the Mona Lisa on a computer screen compared to looking at it in a museum. Now, not that I've ever done that, but like, I have looked at a lot of pieces of art I appreciate in real life. And then there, I have watched a lot of movies in the theater compared to watching them on my laptop and experienced way more seeing it in the theater. I have experienced vinyl version of a record and heard more things. I don't have that with a physical book compared to an ebook. In fact, if anything, I experience more reading an ebook because when I don't know what a word means, it's easy for me to look it up. So more of convenience? Well, it's not convenience. I think that each thing we're getting into now, it's so hard to compare over these different art forms what they are because it's so nuanced that it's a weird comparison. It's almost like it's not apt to me. Okay, well, that's fair. That I mean, I think that's definitely fair. I just wonder, like, because again, I can only just wonder because I, I truly don't know if like in whatever year, several centuries ago when someone released a painting, 
I guess it wouldn't have been like marveled out right away because some of that stuff takes decades or centuries to be put in museums, right? And then it's marveled at. Like same same for modern art today, right? Like you and I probably have, I mean, maybe not you, but like I have no idea what's up with modern art stuff, right? But uh, I mean, I know, I know, I know a little, yeah, but like art, you know, arts, but, but, it's not my thing, right? But in like fifty years, I'm sure someone will be looking. I mean, I would assume, right? Someone will be looking in a museum, let's say at the Met of Art, made in 2014. Well, if you think of it this way, all of this is just carbon when it comes to art, and in fifty years, your 3D printer is going to be able to print an exact carbon replica of that Mona Lisa, and you'll be able to look at it, and it will almost be down to the cellular form, the exact same thing that's in that other museum. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I'm a little... Throw out, throw, throw out all your all your comparisons are, are crazy. What are you talking about? Okay, I'm a little sordid then. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this podcast is about is sorting through these ideas yeah yeah i mean i mean we could you know talk about like art that we were like and remember in 2014 yeah so i think that that's a good thing to do I'm great so, at so transitions what, so what art moved you in 2014 so i actually that's a good way to look at it i guess um so i'll, I'll go through my few of my favorite albums um I guess the first will definitely be in order. The la- the latter will not be. But um, in August of 2013, I was driving. I guess, my God, we got back. We got, this is the same. I won't tell the same story because I told it a few episodes ago. But in August of 2013, I had heard the Modern Baseball record for the first time. And I was like, I guarantee, unless Blink-182 or Brand New release a record next year, that this will be my album of the year. Um, as, as we talked about earlier on the show, neither of those bands released a record this year. And uh, You're Gonna Miss It All by Modern Baseball is my favorite record. I'm not saying it's the best record. I don't think, I actually don't think it's the best record of 2014, but it's by far my favorite. Um, to me, it's just a lot of it is very personal to the point where I know like one of them will be singing about something and I'll know what that is about, kind of personal. To I think uh, I like sports, the band's first record a lot, but I don't love it by any means. And I was, I remember like frequently leaving their house, uh, like sophomore year, listening to it on the long walk home and being like, God, this is so close. I think they could get there. And then listening to that record for the first time on their manager's couch, where uh, our bedroom labels started out of and being like, wow, they got beyond where I thought they needed to be. And so I, I really love the record a lot. And it's, so humbling to see them be able to headline and sell out the TLA in Philly or the Gramercy in New York, and it's kind of crazy. Um, my second favorite record of the year, which I think is the best record of 2013, uh, is Home Like No Place. 2014. 2014. I don't know years anymore. Um, hotel, uh, 2014 is Home Like No Place is There by the Hotel Year. Um, I remember I got an advance of, I've got, yeah, I got an advance of the record this time last year from Tiny Engines and, um, I, it was like New Year's Eve, I guess. Um, and I was home, I was in Philly alone. My parents were on the West coast. I had flown back because I wanted to go to some holiday shows, including the Lost Tape Collective show and, um, I had I don't think I'd given the record a chance at all, but I know I knew some other people that had gotten the record early and were starting to listen to it, and they seemed to like it. And um, I I remember very much so um, 
listening to it while packing Valencia records that we had just put on sale for bad timing. Um, going back home, taking a shower and coming out of the shower and reading the news that uh, a very uh, a loved one of mine's mother had passed away um, at a very, very young age for both the daughter and the mother. And it being a very, being really one of the hardest things I've had to deal with all year. And then me playing that record more while I was trying to sift, uh, quickly pack through Valencia records um, to get them out of my mind and out of my head, that record just really clicked with me as it was and is so much to what I deem to be about death and incredible hardship. And the song in particular, The Closer, um, Dendron is like my favorite song of the year by far. It's like the best song I can really remember hearing in years um so that'd be my number two and then my number three and then i'll give it to you jesse um my number three is piano become the teeth's keep you um uh i was really excited to hear that the band was going to ditch all screaming and just kind of make a a really morose album um you you know what i'm always glad to hear when a band decides to ditch all screaming (laughs) And you know that's something I really they they're they're they were actually my favorite of those bands that have been doing the screaming of the few years. Um and I was like, you know what, I'm excited about it. And continuing the subject of death, like the the singer um typically only writes songs about his father dying of multiple multis multiple sclerosis. Yes, that thank you. And it's so heartbreaking all the time and um you would never want this album to be released during a season that is not the winter kind of thing. And since it was released in the winter, the late fall, it's it's been what I've been listening to most. And I, I find it to be a really incredible album that is also not necessarily relatable to me, but a little relatable, but regardless, just incredibly enjoyable and uh, awesome. So that that is my number three. Um, mine's going to be far less eventful because I don't have these long poetic stories to tell about music like you do. <laughs> Well, you can't, you can't, you can't wax poetically about dance music, Jesse. Mine's like not all dance music. Okay, <laughs> I have trouble doing numbers, but I, I'm gonna say I've been saying it for a long time. Porter Robinson, Worlds. That's my favorite record of the year. I think it's the most interesting record. I think it's the record that changed the most. I think it's a record that people will cite as having done something like made a dent in music uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think in the dance world, this, this is different. It's, it's a different sound. And I think it was very brave of him to do this sound and he could have done a really easy route and he didn't. Um, as well, Jay Paul's leaked demos since this guy still has only put out two songs officially, but somebody apparently leaked all these demos, uh, and then it's called an album, even though it's really not an officially released album from a guy who's on one of the biggest labels in the world. Uh, I think that was one of the most interesting records, and you're hearing, I already hear the influence of this record in a lot of people's songs. Um, I think it's really cool. I should say the caveat that I, you know, there was a lot of records I worked on this year that I really would be in my top ten well, you can uh, you can list some of them even if you I don't. don't well, I mean, them. like because I, yeah, like, I could I could list some of the favorite things that I've worked on this year because I deem that yeah, to be a very I, important thing that shaped my year. You know, sure. I mean, you know, the Somos Temple of Plenty and the Seven and Show you did on your label would be up there. I listened to it a lot, but I don't feel like it's fair to do it. Um, 
I even like, you know, I have Menziger's rented world in my top 10. And obviously I did a good amount of work with those guys, but it feels weird to have that in there. But the truth of the matter is, yeah, those are some of the records I listened to the most for pleasure this year. Um, I have the movie, the punk singer, which is a documentary about Kathleen Hanna, uh, on my list too. I think that was one of the best pieces of art made this year, but it's also weird because there's a point where I'm in the movie. So it's like, <laughs> it gets a little weird. What do you call it? White Lung's new record this year. Um, I should also say this, that I, I was still even well into this year listening to White Lung. Sorry. So um, they're one of my favorite bands. So that's just uh, without a doubt. They, they kind of ruled the front half of my year. Pup's record ruled a lot of my year. I listened to a lot of those two Beach Slang EPs. Cashmere Cat put out two fantastic EPs. I don't know if the first one got this year, but he's kind of... Um, I wrote a lot of my book to his record because it's instrumental music and I can write easy to instrumental music. And then I'll say my uh, my favorite piece of music that I think is the most interesting of the year is uh, this guy, Sophie. Actually, I don't know if it's a guy or not. Apparently, he's transgender and somewhere. I don't know where you know, the person identifies yet. So we're going to call this person, Sophie, who also goes by an alias called QT, you know, the letters QT. Uh, everything they put out this year, I think is the most forward thinking pop music around. Uh, it's like Michael Jackson, if he was beamed into the future and still alive. Uh, I just love what this person's doing with music. And I think it's the most interesting thing to happen. And that's definitely, I'd say what I listened to the most this year as well. Cool. And that's pretty much all I listened to. Fair. I, I listened to a lot of other stuff, not what to, to skip over poetic details. Uh, after, after the top three, my four through 10 kind of just goes in any order, but um, the get hurt by the gaslight anthem flies in all directions by Weatherbox, temple of plenty by somos charmer by tiger's draw cope by manchester orchestra andrew mcmahon's um debut self-titled album and rented world by the menzingers are, are all in are all also in what I, I guess i would consider my top 10 um the like kind of the two biggest surprise records i guess for me were the hotel year and somos records just because i didn't know the bands at all before and uh they both rule so much those albums <laughs> um and it's been, it's been very enjoyable seeing somos play live a bunch of nights on this modern baseball tour yeah. as, as it's been incredibly enjoyable to have us released by them on my label um or, and those songs happen to be my two favorite songs by them so um very cool uh in terms of stuff i'm excited for next year um I am very excited, obviously, for New Blink-182 and brand new records that I actually think we may get next year. Um, and uh, also Somos, The Wonder Years, Story So Far, Knuckle Puck. And I'm very excited for a Beach Slang record because I think that band could be a very, very large band um, out of seemingly nowhere. Um, so they're, I guess, my artists to watch of next year. But yeah, I don't got any of that. Um, well, that's fair. Did, 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 what, what were your favorite movies of the year? Oh, my favorite movie. That's a good question. Um, I guess since it's still just so much on the top of my mind, like Interstellar blew my mind. Um, I walked out of that movie with Grace and just bat when we just babbled at each other for like an hour. Uh, <laughs> and then I took a flight back, a red eye back home, and then I was out of my mind on that flight. Um, what came out this year? My favorite comedy was uh obvious child i think that that was one of the best movies made i think that's the best comedy i didn't movie. see that i don't i don't it's like now, it's now up on uh 
Netflix. Got it. Yeah, I don't see a lot of movies yet. I feel like I kind of see a good amount of movies. Oh, I really love Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I'll never see that. Oh, it was a great movie. I really enjoyed. I feel like there was another Marvel movie that came out this year, and I enjoyed that too. Um, I don't know. I I don't. Me going to the movies because, like, to to bring it back full circle, like, I never. I, I. me getting to the movies is, has always been an incredibly stressful thing to me unless it's late on a Sunday because I'm honestly terrified or I've been terrified of like just the world like bra- the the you know I'm terrified of Being brand new away from the internet yeah I'm terrified of brand new announcing a new album while I'm in the middle of a three hour movie called Gone Girl and then me walking out and being <laughs> super tense because of that movie and then picking up my phone, seeing that brand new announced new album, and then truly, like, I would just hate myself for the rest of the night kind of thing if that were to happen. Um, and I would not go to a movie again for months. It's like I got this new tattoo recently. It hurt a lot, and I'm not going to get another one until I can forget that it hurt so much. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, there is a thing to that, yeah. Yeah, because so, I completely forgot that my other two ones hurt. <laughs> And then I was like, okay. And then I was like, oh wow, this really hurts. And I, 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 I have a lot of jokes about how I do do things. Like you know, it's like I, uh, I'll go to a really spicy restaurant once I can forget how bad it wrecked my stomach. Exactly. Once exactly. that memory's gone, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember why I don't go here every week. Totally. It's like, so yeah. it's like I can't handle that level of spice. Yeah, but. I'm, I'm bad at remembering what, what movies I, movies I see each year by year. But I, I mean, I, I really loved um, Interstellar. I also really enjoyed Gone. Girl, um, I, I I I would say Gone Girl was one of the best movies I've seen, and then as well, um, Only Lovers Left Alive and The Dance of Reality. I think we had a great year for movies, and like those couple movies, I think were some of the best movies. Uh, and Yodorowsky's Dune. I really saw. I really enjoyed the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking that. at Google now for movies that came out this year. Um, and that that was super enjoyable. It was. It was like. It was like a movie that I'd never kind of watched. Like, I've never really seen a movie like that, I guess. Um, I forget. You haven't seen his other movies? Yeah, I forget his name. Yeah, I forget his name. uh, Wes Anderson. Right, I really haven't, like, seen many movies by him at all. Um, Oh, well, that's why. He makes the same movie. Right, but so this one was was an incredibly enjoyable version of that for Uh, me. You should should go back and watch the other ones. They're really good. Yeah, so I've I've been trying to watch. Grace likes watching movies, and I I really love movies, too. I just watch so much TV, and it's also just kind of rare for me to go watch movies. that, um, that's the other thing too is that TV this is you know we're in that age where TV is better than movies yeah my favorite I can do that real quick my favorite TV my favorite new TV shows whether they're new or not that I started watching this year um, my favorite show that I've found this year has been The Good Wife and I, I ran through like all six I caught up on all like five I seasons I, I can't do it I keep trying to do it I can't oh do God. it I, I think it, uh, overall I think it may be the most consistent show I've actually ever watched wow I can't like the first season it just like it kills me yeah I don't know I was in it right away and then I just like even if you like search up like metacritic reviews it's just incredibly across the board consistent and i I really enjoy that and then something you keep bringing up metacritic you trust me i've never metacritic's a bad example i don't i i really don't even uh like whatever i i for what i view for tv um reviews i like av club typically is a good meter for me i typically Hmm. agree with the reviewers on a lot of their stuff and those scores and like they, they're. I feel like the Good Wife's average score on there is like a B plus or an A minus, and that's great. And in terms of another new, a new show that I've been watching all fall, um, I've really, really loved watching The Flash. Um, I think it's the only TV show of a superhero that I've ever seen done right. Like, I, I, there was someone on Twitter the other day that was like, "It's not campy. It doesn't take itself too seriously, and it's just like good 
good spirited like superhero stuff with uh, with some emotion but not too much and it's like i've never it's the most enjoyable show i've been watching this year and i really really love it and i hope it doesn't go badly at any point but i have a lot of faith in it so and i also started watching um masters of sex i think because of you right yeah, yeah. But that's i think masters of sex really good show, show. I, that's the best show that's currently running yeah I, I really like that too oh and then i think oh my favorite comedy that i found this year I found Veep this year, and uh, are you a Veep person? I, I, Veep, I am not okay. half as. I'll take okay. Al- Alpha House over Veep. Anyway. Okay, I haven't started the new season of Alpha House yet, but oh, um, I'm so that's, I'm getting to that this week hopefully. But Veep, just like I start, I was it was like over President's Day when I had a day off, and I watched all three seasons of Veep in like in in the weekend, and uh, I love it because it, to me it's just like this further mixture of the Seinfeld curb your enthusiasm void that I don't have anymore. And, uh, I love that too. So that, that's me. Hmm. TV. I, I hate Seinfeld. So oh, that's, yeah. that's like, like, that's my favorite much. show ever. So Seinfeld friends, all that stuff. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. And then, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention cereal. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I know it's ubiquitous at this point, but it's just, I, I mean, we're, we're three days away from the end and like every day is a longer day waiting to, to find out what they say at the end. All right. Let me ask you one quick question about cereal uh-huh. that I really only, I've seen only two individuals in since August or September, whenever it launched, maybe since September comment on this on Twitter and that's all. Do you feel bad at all in taking pleasure in this thing and being so focused on who killed the person, even though it's just a whole storytelling of a girl that got murdered regardless. And that will never likely, I assume will never have, will never be brought justice to. And that we're taking incredible pleasure in that every week that you're waiting, you're counting down the days, like you just said. Because what it is, is it's making us reassess how we judge one another. So I think one of the most interesting things about this show is because Adnan's likable. He's so likable. Yeah, that we really, really like him. We're really rooting for him. And what I'm actually hoping for the end is, is that he confesses that he killed her uh, in that 18-page letter that Sarah got this week. I really hope that he says, you know, at the end of it. But that has nothing to do with my question. Yeah, but well, but the reason I don't, don't, feel bad about the pleasure that we take in it is that we're learning as a society how we should judge things like so much of last week's episode was about the rumors like well the rumors but then as well like why do we think so wrong about the way like we think of people who like kill it like we see all these circumstances like you know the shrillness like how everybody hated his lawyer things like that we're seeing what's wrong with the justice system and this is giving us such an enjoyable portrait to analyze so many things that are wrong in our society you know that's been that, you know it's been crazy for me about greater cereal. Good, i think we're getting a greater good out of it that's what i'm gonna say okay i find it's so crazy to hear the court recordings right I, you know, I've never done jury duty yet. So it's, it's so, oh. <laughs> and to be like, and to be like, oh, I knew law and order wasn't real, but like, oh, it's really not real. And maybe that's like the most childish thing of me to say, but like, it's crazy. Like just real world stuff versus entertainment, TV or movie stuff, you know? 
just to hear like the pace or the that these individuals like aren't perfect even if they're clearly doing something wrong in like the tv show or the movie you know um it's like crazy just like i remember the first time they ever played a court recording of adnan's lawyer and i was and she like kept she was essentially like screaming oh yeah and i was one of the shrillest human beings i've ever i've been joking that like i would convict somebody just to never have to hear her talk again whether they're interested right and so i was like your voice i was like oh my god this is not how law and order sounds (laughs) but yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i i really love the podcast too but i think there is something to like just this crazy fascination everyone's having and but it's like we're also never going to get likely unless there is some crazy confession next week down to the bottom of it um and frank i don't don't know that we need to because like one of the things like um a friend of mine and i were like discussing this the other day is that there's another thing to this too is that you know what is reasonable doubt like there's so many things that we i think that this does a good job of reassessing how bad our system is. And like, I think that's another thing, like you were mentioning like this jury duty thing. I actually avoided jury duty for a long time. Um, I had a uh, felony on my record when I was a juvenile. And so oh. I was able to avoid it for a while. And I was so glad when I finally did it because it made me understand it. Um, when they finally stopped letting me get away with avoiding it, I really was thankful for it. I got served. Um, yeah. yeah, I got, s- I'm not served. Uh, uh, whatever it's called for the first time over the summer. But I, I just, I, it was during like school. And also again, like I, I am the only person that works on my work. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't have anything against going, so we'll, we'll get there. I'm sure. Nice. All right. Happy new year. Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo, and our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.